0: I didn't stop because I didn't think of stopping. I didn't watch myself in the mirror and say, what the fuck are you doing? Stop that immediately. I realized that I've crossed the line. I wasn't pretending no more to have another identity. I stole one.
1: Hello and welcome to Rose Tinted Review, the show where every week we pick something we feel nostalgic for. We then revisit and review it to find out whether or not our hindsight truly is 2020, or if we've just been wearing rose tinted glasses. I'm your host, Connor O'Keen, or am I, and I'm joined by my good friend and co-host, Michael Gerbaz. Michael, uh, how are you doing? Uh
2: yes. Uh hello. It is the, <laughs> uh, Michael uh,
1: Gerbaz. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I so want to believe that you're my co-host, but I'm <laughs> going to go with it. This week's film you is, of course... You
2: can't, you can't pretend to be me.
1: <laughs> no one can pretend to be me. <laughs> there is only one. Uh, this week's film is, of course, the 2012 documentary film The Imposter. Directed by Bart Layton. Or was it? Follows just like every single (laughs) person in the credits. Or or was it then? (laughs) (laughs) All of the the credits just have question marks next to all the names. (laughs) Uh, The film is about the 1997 case of the French confidence trickster. We've got him listed here on Wikipedia as. That's what uh, Con Man stands for. It's confidence. Oh, oh Ah! Yeah. okay. Oh, my God, I'm learning stuff already. This is amazing. Uh, confidence trickster. This is something new. I've never heard that term before. This is great. Uh, Frederick Bourdain, who impersonated Nicholas Barclay, an American boy who disappeared at the age of 13 in 1994. I first saw this film, if not the year that it came out, then the year after. Uh, but this movie turned 10 this year. Boom. It's congratulations double digits you big 100 imposter congratulations you're now eligible for the podcast <laughs> <laughs> you're now eligible to be impersonated by Frederick Bourdain. <laughs> and at the time i remember it standing out just as uh, i was i was fresh out of tafe and i think up until that point i'd kind of I-, I liked a few documentaries we talked about the um uh, the the uh, being elmo doco and we That's both right. really enjoyed that. I just, I'd seen that in TAFE. I saw this just out of that. But this was the first documentary I ever saw that I was really impressed with how it looked. I mm. was I was struck by, like, oh, my God, a documentary can be s- as cinematic as a, like, D- David Fincher film.
2: Yeah, yeah, totally. That's what I was, um, was going to bring up. Other documentary that we've hit up, which is, you know, nearly 100 episodes since is Global Metal. Which obviously yes, you yeah. enjoyed, and of course. It is, I was, I was nuts about that. But, but outside is strikingly of, different,
1: uh, yeah, yeah. Like and outside said, of it's... documentaries that I had, you know, a vested interest in the subject matter. You know, I fucking liked Elmo. <laughs> I liked yeah, Metal, yeah. so of course I was, I was going to check those things out. And I mean, this uh, other than it being. At the time, I didn't know uh, what it was uh, what it was about. I, I had a friend recommend this to me and they said, mm-hmm. you should check this out. You'll really like it. And it was one of the rare occasions where I went, okay, and did so. <laughs> that and actually it really did matter. it. What do you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So not so too once I, of Once a pitch. I got into it, I was like, no, no, no. Well, once I, they didn't tell me anything about it, but they said like, you'll like it. I was like, okay. And once I got into it, it was kind of, you know, in my wheelhouse enough, like kind of mystery, crime, weird shit. But yeah, it wasn't like a heavy metal docker or something that I was, you know, going into with a, a vested interest in. Mm, mm. But still, it left a, a huge impression. It was good to come back to as well, because uh, I haven't watched it since. And so, in the lead up to watching it, I was thinking, Ah oh, shit! I hope this holds up. I hope it still looks as good as I thought it did back then. Because now we kind of sport for choice, especially for true excuse me, especially for like true crime docos and stuff like that. They're they're Netflix bread and butter. Yeah, fifty percent of Netflix is true crime. Exactly. And of the ones I've seen, they've all been of a pretty high quality. So I was wondering how this was gonna stack up and I was really pleased, really relieved to watch it and go, oh nah this this shits on a lot of the stuff on Netflix that I've watched recently yeah. in that uh in that genre. And what I was really, really struck by on this viewing, and I'm excited to talk about it with you, and I'm excited to uh hear where you're coming to this movie from. Um, but something I was really struck by on this watch was Less how it looks and more how it's cut, how it's put together, how they assemble this story. Mm-hmm. It's uh, marvelous. It's it's so effective, and and through its entire fairly lean ninety nine minute runtime. Yeah. So I'm coming at it similar to you from a
2: friend's recommendation. But guess who, nice. whose friend recommendation that was? It was you, you son of a bitch. <laughs> oh really? Oh my god. Um, this was this marked the first. I think maybe the first film I can think of that I watched it because I wanted to watch a video essay about it. Ah, cool. <laughs> that's that's really cool. Um, so I saw it in around 2015, so just after we finished uni, like a little, a little while after that, mm-hmm. and we were getting into the incredibly popular and fantastic YouTube channel Every Frame of Painting, which I think we've mentioned a couple of times on this podcast before. Yeah, definitely. And we were, like, gushing about how good it was and everything and being like, oh, my God, man, I learned more from these videos than I did in film school. <laughs> and That sort of thing. And I think you were like, oh, have you watched the one on the imposter? And I was like, no, I haven't. And then I, like, went to look at it and I was like, oh, this is unlike a lot of the other videos that are on a more of a a, a theme to the, epi- to the video than a, yeah, a specific yeah. subject matter. This one is specifically on... It has a theme, but it's on this
1: film Yeah, all of the examples are drawn from this film and it's it's all kind of presented with the context of... Of the you movie. Know, you've so seen I've, this movie, you understand what it's about. Yeah, so I started watching it and I was
2: like, I don't have the context, so just like mm. we like to tell our listeners,
1: watch the yeah, fucking yeah. movie first and then... Yeah, totally. And, I mean, quick aside, that's it's, it's a great way to discover new movies. I've watched mm. so many films just to... Get the context to watch a, a video essay from a video essayist that I really like. Exactly, you it know? has become
2: my uh, a far more motivating factor than a recommendation from a friend. That sometimes you can be like, "Oh yeah, cool," and then it just gets shelved like yeah, really yeah. fast, really quickly. But when you yeah. see when you're sitting around and you're procrastinating, and you see that YouTuber you like just put up a video, and you're like, "Oh man, I want to watch that because that would be procrastination." <laughs> but I got to do the work and watch the movie first. It's funny, isn't it? Yeah, but. Similar to you, not the hugest fan of documentaries. We had to watch some for the Melbourne International Film Festival, like when we mm. talked about being Elmo. That was like, you know, part of the curriculum. Where yeah. this was something where it's like, hey, this is really good. You should watch it because it's good. Mm. And it's, you know, just getting the, the pitches. Hey, this is this really cool documentary I think you'd like. It's like, I don't mm. know. I don't I don't like documentaries. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't like the real world, but freaking like five minutes in, two minutes in, and you're like, "What is going on?" I'm yeah, oh, this is absolutely stunning. I couldn't remember a whole lot uh, of the specifics because, like you, I hadn't rewatched it since. Mm. I don't know if I would have felt the need to go back and watch it if we weren't doing it for the podcast, but. I th- but I'm glad that we did because it's one of those things that you're watching and you go, oh, wow, that was amazing, cool. And then the, the memory of it just being, wow, that was amazing. Mm. Um, but not really that one where you're like, oh, man, i got to check that out again. But the, the the very strong image of the the phone booth in the pouring rain in Spain yes. is like, yeah, there's some really, really strong things in this film that absolutely, like, stay with you. Mm, yeah, they'll um, become etched. Yeah, and it's and it's just a fascinating like, unravelling story that, yeah, like you said, it doesn't, a lot of other stuff still doesn't hold a candle to it, which is nice. Something I didn't go back and rewatch before this episode mm. was the Every Frame a Painting
1: episode on it. I, I didn't do that either because I didn't want it to be, you know, I didn't, I didn't want it want to it be inadvertently be just regurgitating that video. Here's the problem. My opinion. I looked at the title of that video
2: and yeah. suddenly I've gone, oh, shit, am I about to regurgitate it anyway from seven years ago? And I've just forgotten that that's where I learnt it from and I've convinced myself that it was my own watching this movie that I was like, "Mm, yes, I'm very smart. I think I can tell this cinematography is being used this way, but it's actually (laughs) just a forgotten memory
1: from a YouTube video. So that's my disclaimer that, hey. Yeah, all right, let's have it on record (laughs) that if any of these opinions line up with the Every Frame of Painting video... Neither of us have watched it in any recent like recent enough to have it in our in our you know short-term yeah, exactly. memory. I'm definitely going to go rewatch it after we finish recording this episode now just yeah, to, yeah. just to see what what happens. Well so am I. I'm excited to hear whatever you say because I'm going to go back and, and watch the video and see uh, <laughs> how, you know, much how clever in? is my friend.
2: Mm, that's right. Turns out I've been claiming to have been quoting my own stuff for the longest time but I'm actually a confidence man myself and I'm just <laughs> ripping wholesale from different YouTube video essays but there's just there's so many of them you can never you can never un- untangle all of the threads
0: <laughs> the most important thing for me and what I learned very fast was to be convincing when the police arrive, I have immediately to put into their mind that they have a kid in front of them not an adult So it was very important for me to behave like
1: one. You said uh, like within the first five minutes you hooked, and that is so true, dude. Like I I had forgotten that it kind of sets one thing up and then does the whole like rewinding to the back back to the start. Yeah, and then giving you the perspective of this totally other character. Mm. And at that point, I'm like, oh my god, they've got me. Like this, there is no way this is gonna feel like a slog. Even though it's only 99 minutes, it's already, again, quite lean. But there's no way this is going to feel like a slog because I just I need to get to the bottom of this. Not a chance. And at no point do you feel like, all right, we've heard everything here. Like, this story is wrapped up. Why are we still here? It keeps twisting and turning. And some of that is through, like you said, the, the,
2: the good way that it pieces it together. Mm. They obviously have the hindsight to present bits of evidence in an order, in a sequence, Mm. For you to go, oh, cool, I was thinking this and then they told me this and suddenly it, uh, I questioned what I thought. Mm. But mm. also having like a almost a dual narrative running of what is this man who is saying he's Nicholas mm. compared to the actual family, their interviews versus his interviews. And it, th- those interviews feel very separate. Of Like this time viewing it, I felt very conscious of like understanding okay, whatever this person's saying has been like, mm. they've been asked questions by the filmmaker and they're just mm. answering. And then this other person has answered different questions from the filmmaker. And then they're mm-hmm. cutting them together of seeing these two different sides of the story. And you're mm. like, oh, yeah, no, no. the other These other people don't know what the other people are saying because that's mm. how all documentaries work, essentially. Yeah. But it feels really interesting to think of that sort of in the, the same way that you would... We, we've talked in movies liking to, like, analyze or theorize what maybe a character's motivation is on, you know, like, the, the really particular levels. But you're like, oh, mm. it's in, it, all of this stuff is into inter- interpretation. It's not that important, but it's kind of fun to think about yeah. that. In this viewing of this documentary, it's really fun to think about, okay, this is what those people were saying based on mm. what they thought they knew and what they thought that they wanted, like... Everyone has their own uh, subjective truth, yeah. Or um, what's that word that it's like they're they all have their own agenda of like presenting mm. a certain way, and you know everybody wants to be believed and and this sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even yeah, before yeah, of it, the sort of the who's being believed ca- sort of comes into question, mm. everybody sort of just has that subconsciously when you chuck a camera in front of them and you talk. Yeah, yeah, totally. So to figure that out and kind of get a different
1: gauge on each person and stuff is really really fascinating. Yeah, yeah, and by the end of the movie, like you start off only kind of you start off more or less taking everyone for their word, even the imposter. Mm-hmm. Um and and on that, on that too. I love that this movie doesn't like bury the lead. It's not called the imposter and they spend half an hour before we get to the point where it's like he's not our son. Like 5 yeah. minutes in <laughs> they're like I just needed an identity and you're like Oh,
2: all right. Where are we going? Know, exactly. You know, yeah. That's
1: what that's what hooks you. That it's like,
2: okay, we've sort of figured out from the title called the Impostor that something's not yeah, right. Yeah.
1: Yes. Yeah. And it's not. It's like the movie is is just the uh, the lengths that every party involved in this goes to maintain this lie. It's insane. But by the end of it, like by the end of the movie, you are you've gone from taking everybody at their word to hyper-analyzing, like, that, that, that fun of going, like, ooh, I, you know, I wonder, you know, if, if this person knew that this person had said that, would they say something different, you know, when asked yeah. this question in front of a camera, to looking at their fucking eyes and trying to, <laughs> like, read their minds, like, it's maddening. It's yeah, awesome. Yeah.
2: The only thing that we could kind of go into the movie assuming gets disclosed in five minutes and then suddenly you go, what's the rest of the movie going to be about? Yeah, And they go, yeah,
1: that's totally. right, you don't know. You don't know anything <laughs> now. <laughs> yeah, totally. It's like, a, it's like, a, oh, you know, I know what this is going to be about. And they tell you what it's going to be about. And you're like, oh, oh, fuck. And they're like, yeah, smart guy, sit the fuck
2: down. <laughs> you think you're that smart guy at the end of the movie that could be like, oh, yeah, I saw that twist coming. I was expecting that. <laughs> that was the oh, opening my fucking scene, dude.
3: <laughs> Just the sense of... Immense relief. Just seeing, touching, kissing, holding him.
0: I said, what the hell, you know?
3: He's here, we're here.
0: I have him. She didn't even wait a second or two seconds. She jumped on me, she jumped on me, she took me in in her arms and she said, Nicholas, oh, and you were afraid I wouldn't recognize you. I would remember that nose.
3: So I just I remember touching his nose and telling him, um, I remember that nose, you kind of look like your Uncle Pat.
1: Speaking of twists, dude, like I feel like by, I mean, I'm I'm on board the whole time, but by like the hour mark, and especially the, there's a the, the hour 10 mark where the FBI lady gets off the plane and she's just had the conversation with the sister being like, this is not your brother, do not come to the airport, and she gets to the airport and the sister's there and is still acting like it's the brother. You're like... What the fuck is happening? Where is yeah, this going? Yeah, totally. But not mm. in the flubber way. Not in the flubber way. In the best mm. possible way. That's right. Yeah. Flubber wishes
2: it was this movie. <laughs> yeah. So they do a good job, I think, of that kind of dual narrative. Of at the beginning, we get to see the first interviews with the brother-in-law, sister, and mother, and you feel really mm. sad for them that their son went oh, missing tragically. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely feel for them. It's it's heart wrenching. And mm. then. We rewind, then we get Frederick telling his story of how he was, who we, how he thought was he was found. But mm-hmm. then we actually find out later that it's like, no, he rang the police saying that they'd found this like 14, 15 year old and that the police mm-hmm. should come get him. So he's planted this and he is pretending to be a child and him being so upfront and open about it, it's kind of that morbid curiosity of, like, I want to see where this is going, but also there is a there is a part of you that feels sorry for his circumstance as well. And that when he's talking about, like, oh, I was going to get thrown out of the, like, I just wanted somewhere to live because I didn't yes. ha- I had a shit fucking life. Like, I had no love for, with family as a child. Mm. I had no childhood. It was, like, awful. So you think, oh, him? he's 23, he's pretending to be, like, 15 to get into mm. this orphanage so that he has somewhere to live and stay. And yeah, you, yeah. You, you sort of think straight away, like, oh, he'll be around children. He'll be able to actually, like, have that childhood and grow up and emotionally mature in a way that he didn't get to mm. or something. You're already, mm. like, the, the, the goodness in you is trying to, you know, throw him a bone. Mm. That way and then you can see how it unravels and gets out of hand where he goes like well I needed to figure out I needed a name I needed something because otherwise they were going to kick me out so then I thought like up this grand plan of it's in America so I've got to stay overnight and call up and so then he uses his skills again of pretending to be the police officer or the social worker or whoever people people assume that like he doesn't specifically tell them mm. um, and they just kind of assume and then he finds this missing boy and goes, yep, cool, I'll be I'll be him. And then when the family starts, like, contacting him and being like, we're going to bring you home and stuff, he's all like, oh, shit, this is way more than what I thought was going to happen. You're mm. still on his side a little bit. You're not just like, oh, this is the fucking yeah, awful yeah. murderer part of the movie where we hear the interview from the murderer and then here's the interview of the victims. It's yes. a, It's not
1: quite that one-sided. Yeah, viewpoint. you almost go. You you assume he's a, a you know a victim of circumstance mm. and is just is kind of out of survival instinct and just not wanting to be on the street and and desperately wanting you know a sense of uh, safety and f- familiarity and you know family and love and stuff shit that we all want you know and can imagine being deprived of it making you do something fucking crazy, you know? Yeah, yeah. You can kind of, you you almost, you put yourself in in their shoes to some extent. Yeah, and he's remorseful, so he tries to run away, and then they, when the
2: FBI agent is first coming, or not the FBI agent, but like the, whoever it is, the liaison yeah, yeah. person yep. for the US, he's coming, he runs away, they find him, the sister comes, takes him away, they're staying in a motel before they get back on the plane to America, he al- almost runs away again then, so you can see mm. that where it's like, oh, he doesn't feel great about what he's doing,
1: so yeah. it's a little bit more understandable and stuff. And the stuff of the family, like him describing the phone call to the sister, and that like she's crying on the phone and she's being like, like I love you, I miss you, we're going to come yeah. get you. Oh my god, that stuff is just heartbreaking. And you, you, I don't know, the the look in his eyes when he's when he's telling this stuff, you feel as though he, you know, feels remorse for those lies as well. Yeah, yeah. And then we get this returning home
2: and they all welcome him with open arms, don't question it. They all think that he looks different, but then they're going, oh my God, if he was abducted and he was in a a sex slave ring thing, Mm. like all of the trauma that he would have, that would change a person. You would be... So much stuff would be repressed and stuff that of course we don't expect that of him. So they kind of... You can understand in a way that they justify that the mother and the sister.
0: Mm, yeah, at first yeah, totally. you think like, "Oh
2: wow, that's crazy that they that like this worked this this gamble paid off that they're actually like not noticing." Because you are like, "Oh, yeah. wouldn't you notice?" And then when you hear their interviews, you think, "Oh, maybe yeah, who knows what you are like with that much trauma and that much worrying
1: for so many years and yeah, finally yeah. having like hope." The way they shoot and cut this, in the f- the way that we're we're being told this story from Frederick's perspective as well. And up to this point we kind of I don't know if like him is the right word, but we don't I don't think feel a sense of you know hostility or animosity. We don't think he's like yeah. necessarily the bad guy. You're we still kind of rooting in a, for in him. A, well, you go in a in a, in less favorable circumstances, I could be this guy, yeah. you know, to some extent. I know for me, when he's about to leave,
2: when he's in the motel with the sister, I'm going like, hmm. "No, don't do it, dude! Like, you're nearly there. Like, I'm, yeah, I'm rooting, yeah, I'm yeah, wanting sure. to see what happens when he gets on the plane." Yeah, so yeah, I think absolutely. That that's really clever that they're able to not bury the lead, tell us that he is an imposter, and then hmm. it plays out like this, and you go, "Oh, wow, that's cr- what it, and it worked. That's crazy. I'm hooked." Yeah. yeah, yeah, and then you can get all the way, like you said, to the hour ten mark until we actually get to the part where you go. Well, they had to find out because they're making a documentary about it. And you go, oh, yeah, yeah, right. So how did they find out and And what
1: happened after that? Then
2: what are going to, how are people going to respond after that? Like, okay, we've already seen them respond uh, like favorably and, you know, understandably or, you know, they've had their own reasons to not trust little things or, or twist truths and stuff and go, of course, he could look like this or that or
1: not notice that much that his eyes are brown instead of his eyes are blue. Yeah, yeah, and you empathise with them for kind of going along with, you know, believing a a beautiful lie, so to speak, and it's such an engrossing watch the whole time as well because we get those moments of where we think he's going to get caught and there's this build-up of tension where, like, all right, they showed me five photos and they said, if you can't identify, you know, these photos that you've never seen before – then you know we know you're bullshitting, and he happened to have seen them because of the sister, so he's able to identify four of four out of five, and they 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 get on with it. They're like, "Yep, you're, you're him." Yeah. And you breathe a sigh of relief, but then immediately you're greeted with the mother like hugging him at the airport, and there's that like that home footage, the home video footage of them picking him up, and you can see the mum's like wiping tears from her eyes and stuff, and you yeah. your heart sinks for this family, man. Mm. So it's yeah, it's it's such a. Uh, I don't Com- emotionally co- complex viewing
2: experience. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's amazing that they, you know, brought their VHS camcorder and recorded it so they actually have the footage for the documentary. Yeah. But the yeah. stuff that they don't have footage for, the reenactments are so- Oh, uh, yeah, the, the recreations like, are fucking great. Classy and, like, minimalistically used and subtle and, like, the, mm. the actors that they get to play the younger versions of- these people that they're interviewing are really, really spot on and close, especially Frederick. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Ridiculous that it's like, yeah, I'm like confused the whole time seeing the younger Frederick in the reenactments and the Mm. actual Frederick in the interviews. He's so similar that I'm like, did they just like put younger
1: makeup on him and he's actually playing himself in the recreations? Like I wasn't sure it's so close. Yeah, I had moments of going like, is that just the same dude? Did they get this fucking weirdo to play himself in the reenactment? he was
2: he was twenty-three when he was pretending to be fourteen, and now he's like thirty-something pretending to be <laughs> Pretend a twenty-three. 23,
1: 23. <laughs> um and like the way that they shoot and cut these uh reenactments and, and intercut them with the interviews and will overlap dialogue and audio so that like the mm. interview audio is being heard but we're seeing 23 year old reenactment frederick's mouth move yeah like it's so cool that they managed to kind of blur the lines between you know fact and fiction and and all that stuff
2: yeah it's really cool and when also the the audio effect of having it like the the, the like the weak phone line from the international call and mm, stuff he's mm. like explaining that that's part of his thought process that they won't be able to tell that well over the phone call mm. they won't be able to identify it so then they give us that like shitty
1: sounding phone call to kind yeah. of give us that that impression as well. Yeah, and and hearing his process for all that stuff of like knowing that that is the case and that people won't be able to hear him well over the phone so, you know, or he he knows how much information to give them to get to the next step of mm-hmm. the process is so it's equal parts chilling and compelling. It's f- utterly fascinating. Yeah. And I love the little little things, uh, the little editing choices. Uh, like when I think it's the sister or someone is saying they spoke to a, you know, a Jonathan Durain on the phone, and it, it has a brief cut to Frederick smiling, and
0: you're like, "Yeah, oh, ooh, ooh yeah, that's really the, nice."
1: Cutting back to the
2: expressions of him, mm. that's where I'm going to go into like my like fancy like impressions that I got from the filmmaking, and that may mm. it, may or may not be forgotten memories of a video essay. Is that <laughs> go on? Frederick is like staring like the barrel of the camera down. Compared mm. to the family members, they're shooting them in that kind of like uh, talking heads, like left and right framing of yeah. How you would normally shoot a dialogue or an, stuff, or you you would usually shoot a just a interview with someone. Mm. They're not looking at the camera; they're looking at the person interviewing them to on like the opposite side of the camera. Yeah, um, in that sort of the. The line that they talk about, you know, not crossing with uh, mm. the cinematography rules and stuff, where Frederick is looking straight down the camera, and also with a really high depth of field, so like the background is blurred, and that's yeah. sort of another thing that I'm like, oh, is it like, oh, what is What is he saying? What what can we trust? Because you know, things are not clear for him when whenever mm. we see him talk.
1: Mm. Yeah, everyone else we see their environment, and it's usually like a family home or something that we're kind of we can we feel familiar in you know yeah
2: again it's that that typical thing that you would do when you're interviewing a subject for a documentary you have them in their environment that we can get a, a, a glimpse of who, like who get they get are feel from who they are yeah exactly um so it feels like that's done there and then with frederick he's sitting in a table it looks like the kind of interrogation room that you would see in a police station or something mm-hmm. it's just a like a, a small room plain table and he's staring kind straight gray. at the camera yeah, just mm. yeah, grey, whitey, off-white. It's a little bit, like, eerie to be staring straight at the camera. Like, there's a little bit more of a disconnect or there's a little bit more of a, a connection to us in terms of-
1: Well, yeah, he's talking to, he's talking
2: us. to us. He's talking to us. He's the one telling the story, like, this is the movie that you're watching and I'm going to tell you mm. compared to how other people are
1: asked questions and they give us information. Well, it's almost, like, up to a point, we feel like we're getting the real story from him.
2: Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. And
1: then, again, at that, like, hour ten mark, we don't know who the fuck's telling the truth. And we'll we'll get there, we'll get there, but I want to keep going uh, vaguely, chronologically. Yeah, we don't want to jump the gun there. It,
2: it's one of those movies that there is so much stuff where you're going like, and, what? And, oh, my God, mm-hmm. what happened next? You want to keep yeah. it chronological.
3: And I felt like it was imperative that he be interviewed quickly. So I agreed to meet Nicholas at the San Antonio Missing Children's Centre, to conduct our first interview. The only thing I knew about Nicholas was what I had read on some of the missing posters. Not that people can't change in three years, but this person in general did not appear to be 16. He had a shadow of a beard, a dark beard, that I doubt if Nicholas would have had a shadow of a dark beard at the age of 16 since he had blonde hair. He appeared to be quite nervous, and he just seemed very uncomfortable
1: this entire time. I, I feel like, I, I know neither of us have watched this since our initial viewing, but I would love to find some time to sit and watch this again and kind of try and pick stuff and, and go through it with a fine-tooth comb, because it feels like all of the decisions, like you say, like with the framing and stuff in terms of how it's shot, of course, but even what portions of the frame they choose to show. Like there are some shots where they've taken the the full uh, you know, like the wide of Frederick sitting centered, dead center, staring down the barrel of the camera, and cropped in, so he's just off center. Yeah, and stuff like that, and and it feels like, an like it's all done close with... up on like the eyes and stuff. And yeah, face. yeah, it feels as though it's done with a, a you know a real sense of purpose behind all of those those decisions. I'd love to try and you know piece it together a little bit. Mm. Which again, it's like the the last uh,
2: imposter person's story that we're not sure if we can trust is the filmmakers themselves because they're the mm. ones in the editing room where you're talking about like oh we as the sister's saying something and talking about hearing him on the phone we just get this like kind of chilling look and expression from him that mm. seems like a knowing expression but that could be from any part of the interviews that they did yeah. with him and just went yeah oh this works really good for this moment and that's the yeah that's the thing with filmmaking and they talk about documentary filmmaking is that generally say that like you write the film in the edit process mm. you just like mm. you shoot everything you get all of your all of your subjects and everything all that information and then you actually kind of write what the film is once you've gotten all of that information mm. whereas a traditional film they say you know you write it three times you write it when you've written it you're writing it as you're shooting it and then you write it again in the editing bay mm. So yeah, we don't know, like they could go, well, we don't really have any evidence to back this up that he was thinking this, but if we put this shot right here, Mm. it sends a shiver down people's spine and we kind of want them to be like hooked and gripped and you know, like you said, equal parts like horrified, but also absolutely like mesmerized, but needing to Mm. know what's like, what's around the corner.
1: Yeah, yeah, totally, and and I think um they do a good job of, uh, usually again those decisions feel like they're made for a reason greater than just you know spookiness. Yeah. Um, in the case of you know the the Jonathan Duran thing, it's to re- like remind us that he that that's who she was actually speaking to, and that he's a bit of a cheeky devil. Yes, he's got yes. that he's got that smile. Mm. And then later on, there's the bit where. I think the sister is talking about, um, you know, how he he looked when she last saw him and she was like, oh, he had blonde hair, blue eyes and a gap in his teeth and it cuts to Frederick smiling and you see that gap in his teeth and they don't need to say, I've had... I saw the little boy had the gap in his teeth. (laughs) Terrible accent. Not even going to fucking (laughs) apologize. That's not French. That's (laughs) (laughs) Borat. Very nice. Um, Little boy. um... (laughs) Oh, God. This podcast is derailed at at minute 35. This podcast derailed. Uh, But yeah, they don't need to hit us over the head with it. They just show us that and we know what to do. You show that and you go,
0: oh, yeah. You put the pieces together
1: yourself. Yeah, they let you be they let you play detective.
2: And that's yeah, that's the most fun. That's like that's the secret of the the true crime is that mm, you're playing mm. detective playing detective too. Even the non-true crime we've talked about how much we like playing detective on the silence of the lambs or the whatever oh, it yeah, is. Oh, of
1: course. Yeah. We just naturally are, you know, the morbid curiosity takes over. Yeah, and absolutely put pieces together. Yeah. And the movie never gets bogged down in I don't know details or Stuff that we don't need to know about. That's something that I feel like uh, we talked. Uh, I mentioned earlier, like there's we're sport for choice now. Netflix, you know, it's their bread and butter is this kind of shit. Mm. But in my experience, they'll often stretch what could have been an hour and a half doco into a four-part miniseries. Each episode going for an hour, and holy fuck. They find ways to stretch this shit out, dude. I watched a doco somewhat recently. It was like, a, I think it was a four part episode, you know, mini series about the, uh, I've forgotten the name of it now, but there was that hotel where a girl was found in the water oh, tank. In the water tank at the, at the top. Ye- yes. Yes, yes. And that, like, that story, what really fucking happened in that story is about an hour and a half's worth of material. Like, they could have made a decent, you know, 99 minute doco out of that but you need but they chose to the, oh it's man It's to be a series just, not a movie and it really really got tenuous to the point where they're bringing in fucking youtube sleuths oh. and these fucking weirdos uh, uh talking about how oh when they heard this girl because they'd been following her on tumblr and and they'd been following the news story and when they heard that she was actually dead it was like losing a friend you fucking weirdos get a hobby you sick pricks Someone's daughter died, you fucks. Yeah, yeah. Just like maddening and completely pulling me out of any enjoyment, uh, you know, sordid kind of uh, sordid mm. enjoyment, nonetheless. But you know, I, I'm no longer engaged. I'm fucking angry. Yeah, yeah. And for the wrong reasons. I'm angry. I'm angry at the producers of this show for subjecting me and and, and uh, to these fucking lunatics. Mm. I think it's similar as well
2: that true crime is very similar to reality TV shows in that way that they go, okay, we've got this premise for the reality TV show and we're going to give people challenges to do every episode or whatever and they're competing or whatever it is and we're just going to film it and we're going mm. to like get the natural, we, we won't have to pay for actors, we get real people in, it's their mm. real natural responses and we'll make something of it in the edit. And mm. some some reality TV shows have the meat on its bone and the people are interesting enough that you can go, oh no, there's something here that I just like watching this this formula and mm. I'll watch it till the day I die because it's really entertaining compared to some of the really bad ones where it's like, oh, they're really like twisting people's words and like, you know, they're sort of bachelor frank married and at first sight. Uh, yeah, yeah frankenbiting things to make it sound like someone said something that they didn't and stuff so that, you know, people at home will get annoyed at them and stuff. Mm. And it can be like that with true crime as well where this it's like, yeah, no, they didn't – there wasn't like barely any clues so they were like, oh, we, we don't have anything to tell them so – yeah.
1: What does this what does this cunt on fucking YouTube think?
2: Yeah, it's like, nope, every step of the way there's something interesting happening, or there's a twist, or there's, you know, something added to the story. As time goes on, you go, Oh, did he did he trick everyone? Did he fool everyone? Did everything just quiet down?
1: And we don't even need fucking cyber sleuths. We don't need YouTube sleuths. We got the real deal, we baby. Got we got Charlie We got Charlie Parker. Old-fashioned private detective. <laughs> <laughs> he looks the part. I love his overalls. I love his white shirt. Yeah, yeah. Driving he around is, Texas. He's great. He's so good. And, yeah, him being, like, the guy who's, like, this ain't the guy. Yeah. You know? You can tell him by his ears. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's like, I put it in Photoshop, and it shows him zooming (laughs) in. I put it it in Adobe Photoshop. God, (laughs) I use Photoshop. I could be a private detective. (laughs) Oh no, catch me on Netflix soon, kids. And then, like, when they go to the, I've forgotten the name expert or like what his title is exactly. I didn't take note of it. Um, but the guy who's talking about like pupil size and stuff as he's recounting this these stories of rape and torture and all, all that awful shit not changing the way that they should and and his language being like if he if he was raised speaking English for the first you know seven years of his six, life seven years of his life he there's no way that his accent would sound like this yeah yeah stuff like that it's really so interesting cool. although it's
2: really interesting after like you know following up with the FBI agent and she's here's the story and that's when he goes really in-depth into telling them about this sex ring that's high up US military people that were flying them around to different countries and raping them and doing all sorts of stuff. Mm. And the FBI officer being convinced because she's like, a normal person doesn't just make up those kind of like accusations and allegations. That's like some Mm. serious shit. And Mm. then the thing was that it's, again, they make you feel for him a bit because the story that he's telling of having his hand broken or his foot broken and, you know, tortured and had cigarettes put out on him and stuff he actually has those scars.
1: Yeah, yeah. So you he go, oh, injuries. shit, we
2: know that he's not this guy, but is this story not real? Or is mm. this is this all from experience that he's actually able to come up with such a huge story of what was mm. happening? Then the finally finding out where the guy's like, no, 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 someone who's experienced this kind of trauma doesn't recount the story in this mm. way without mm. having a raised heart level and, you know, all of these sorts of things. mm
3: mm-hmm. This investigation did a 90 degree. It just went from one, one place all the way up to another. I immediately called Carrie Gibson, and I said to her, Carrie, Dr. Perry has just stated that this person cannot be your brother for the fact that he cannot be an American. This could be a very dangerous person. She shrieked our screams and said, oh my gosh, I says, Don't be at the airport. You know, I'll handle it. I'll I'll take care of this individual, and that she did not have to take him home, you know, back to her home to live with him. And she says, Okay, okay.
1: And then again we get back to that hour and ten mark. The airport, the sister comes in and greets this dude as the brother. And then from then on it's just like, no, we don't know who to believe. All bets are off. Even Frederick is like what the fuck? Yeah. Like, how am I still getting away with this? They know that I'm not this person.
2: Yeah. When when the con man himself is like, wait, what? How did I not just get caught? They yeah. must know. Oh, they never fell for my story. They knew. They must have known the whole time. They mm. weren't. They were. They didn't care what my story was. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, to have told that sister that, and her be worried, and then she up arrives at the airport to meet him. And yeah. acts like nothing happened. You're like, wait, what? And then when we hear mm-hmm. an interview from her, she's like, I don't remember the FBI agent, like, phrasing it like that. That doesn't sound like what she said. And you're like, yeah. uh-oh, now we're into just he said, she said, and everybody's yeah. saying different things. And yeah, yeah, yeah. then when the FBI woman wants to get a DNA test, because she's like, this will definitely unequivocally show. Mm-hmm. And then the mother refuses Mm-hmm. to give a DNA test or a DNA sample and then we get the interview from the mother being like I did not want to
3: go anywhere with the FBI but I don't remember refusing I was stunned i would never had that reaction before she wasn't just apathetic she was hostile but to be honest with you I really have no idea what I was thinking at that time
2: Oh, this is how many years ago they're not remembering mm. it very well, or they're mm. remembering it in a way that is, you know, coloured in on their side of the story, so that they're the the one in the right. Mm. And then you start questioning everyone.
1: Yeah, and up to that point, we've we've felt one way about the about the imposter and one way about the family, and now we don't know what to feel.
2: Yeah, it's sort of it's the only person that right. I still, at that point, feel confident with is the FBI agent because it's like, well, they don't have any ulterior motives no no it wouldn't seem so and she seems quite taken back by she's like how do i approach this with the family that they are so convinced that he is Mm. their their natural born son Mm. how am i supposed to like take that away from them when they're convinced but i'm not yeah yeah and then yeah in that the way that we've been seeing the stepbrother and the sister and the mother this whole time and we've been super sympathetic to them suddenly you start questioning and you start seeing things and you go like, oh, are they, like, actually pieces of shit? And they're yeah, just being really yeah, convincing some, and good because we yep. were convinced by Frederick as well and he seems yeah. to be a nefarious
1: character. So if yeah, it can happen yeah. with
2: him, it can happen with them.
1: What's going we did on? get some interviews from, like, the neighbours and old friends of yeah. the kid going, like, this was never a, a, a great Family. situation. Yeah, like,
2: like the, again, the private investigator... Oh, yeah. I totally feel safe with Charlie Parker. Oh, yeah, exactly. But that's the thing. It's that, that idea of like, oh, someone of authority, someone, you know, who's an expert of things. And he's like, you don't, you have to have a pretty bad argument at home to have to call the cops on your family member. Mm. That's
1: not a, that's not like an all right family situation. Yeah. And then finally, fucking Frederick goes and has, has waffles with the man. <laughs> I think it was Waffles. No, pancakes, pancakes, and and tells him everything. And it's this great they, – they do this a couple of times in the movie where it's almost like it's being told with some reenactments and some you know news footage or some cutaways or B-roll and interview footage, but you get the – it communicates the sense of parallel events. Yeah. You know, yeah. if it was in a movie, it would be cutting back and forth from, like, location A to location B as they converge or whatever, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and they do that here and they have this, especially like this moment where the FBI agent is kind of discovering as as he's telling Charlie, you know, I'm wanted by Interpol. The FBI agent seemingly, you know, in the way that they tell the story to us, discovers that at the same time. Yeah, and she's and going through. She's
2: got all the records of this name and that name in this country. Yeah, and yeah,
1: Even Australia and then yep, Milan yep. and wherever. And then at this point we go, holy fuck, this person. Like earlier on where he's kind of explaining how to manipulate these situations and, you know, he was like, I just needed an identity. I just needed love. You you give him the benefit of the doubt because you think this is the first time he's ever done this and yeah. it was out of desperation and it was out of, you know, a sense, a need for survival and you kind of, yeah, you throw him a bone and then you go, oh, give me my bone back. You can't, <laughs> like, you've done this how many times? Like, it's insane.
2: Yeah, it's it's crazy. And then it, it sort of makes sense that, like, one of the very first things he talks about is, uh, having, like, oversized clothes to make it look like he's smaller, mm. the way that he's, uh, like, hesitant and afraid of other people, makes the the adults feel guilty thinking it's a child and that they're mm. so scared of them. Um, yep. So all of these, like, master manipulator kind of tactics yeah, that yeah. he's been employing this whole time, but then we really see it for what it is then, mm. which is how nefarious.
1: Mm. Yep. And then- I mean, it's simultaneous to that we we get the indication that maybe something happened to Nick with the fucking uh, stepbrother who's been real shady and seemed to know immediately that that wasn't the brother but didn't give a fuck. Yeah, he says like said get good luck to him and then just like left. Yeah, yeah. and who like was the last person to speak to Nicholas like spoke to him apparently on the phone. The day that he disappeared, mm. woke his mum up, said, Hey, he wanted a lift, and I told him to walk. And, and, and the, I mean, who you would assume would be the guy to ask about this stuff has died of a drug overdose. Yeah. You go, Oh, fuck, this is just, this trail's cold and everywhere. It's, it's, yeah. it's a big bowl of wet spaghetti, cold spaghetti on the floor, man. Mm. I don't know what to do with it.
2: Yeah. And then, yeah, I think that. They do such a good job of making you then suddenly turn and suspect the family of the foul play. Mm. But then you're kind of left with this non-ending, no closure.
1: Yeah, I mean, by the end of it, you're kind of going like, I mean, maybe because I want to I want to know what happened. And I, 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 I mean, it's a kid disappearing. You don't want to imagine that that just fucking happens and for no reason. Like, you're looking yeah. for reasons. That's what we fucking do. And so you... you st- For at least a moment, I think everyone watching this movie will go, maybe, maybe they did it. Mm. But they're adamant that then that they that they didn't. And I don't I mean, I don't get the sense that at least the sister and the uncle are bullshitting. I don't know about the mum, but I don't trust drug addict step brother who's dead.
2: So Yeah, it's like I I can I I can see them in both the like the sympathetic very sad story, but then also the, like, oh, shifty, oh, their stories don't line up, this and that, like, Mm. immediately. And I think it's that thing of we're we're watching a movie and we're used to that being, like, a twist in a movie, so we go Mm. along with it immediately Um, in the same way that the FBI agent and the uh, private detective, we see them as a figure of authority and expertise, so we believe Mm. what they say. And we've got the private investigator going out to the house that he used to live at. Mm. And thinking, like, I'm going to, I've, the new owner's given me the permission to dig up the yard because if he was buried mm. there, I'm going to find him. And so, mm-hmm. again, it's like that, what you were talking about, that dual narrative of like the, the family defending themselves against those allegations and mm. saying, like, why would we purposefully take this person in as our missing son and brother mm. to cover something up when, yeah. Nobody cared that he was missing. The police weren't looking. We were the only people looking. Before mm. that, like why would we want to attract that kind of attention to ourselves? And yeah, then at the yeah. same time, we're cutting back to them like digging up the backyard. But yeah. there is no there is no evidence. No. That's like ultimately what it is and it's like you can turn on them so quickly and be like, "Oh, it was the mum and the sister and the step and the the brother-in-law." But yeah. The movie ends with the investigation against them was closed because there was like little to no evidence. So even though the FBI agent feels convinced and the private detective feels convinced Mm. it's, it's that sort of um, mania of Jake Gyllenhaal and Zodiac. Mm. Like when everybody else has like moved on because there's nothing and it's a cold case, he's pulling at these weird straws. Mm. Yeah. So it's like, I I love the private detective. He's fucking great. Mm. But like, the, the real police did an investigation and closed the investigation because there wasn't evidence. And, yes, he mm. did kind of crack the case in initially when he saw the ears and was like, oh, I put this together. But mm. now he's digging up a backyard and they're not finding anything. Yeah, yeah, and it looks a bit sad. And it looks a bit sad and I feel sad because I've turned on them in my mind yeah, so yeah. quickly and then been like, oh, wait, but there was actually, like, you know- an investigation held and there was no evidence found, so they weren't charged yeah. with it. Well, if they
1: weren't charged with it, why can't I stop this feeling that I'm suspicious yeah, of yeah. them? Yeah, you're left with, like, absolutely no sense of closure because you go, you know, oh, the, fam- the family must have done it. And then you go, oh, oh, wait, but there's, like, no evidence and they seem pretty adamant that they didn't do it. And their their reasoning, their logic does kind of hold up of, mm. like, why the fuck would we do this to cover up, to cover up something that, that, I mean- for all intents and purposes, they'd gotten away with. They'd already they gotten away with, yeah. So kid. why
2: bring it up again? Why, why bring it
1: up again? And
2: then, you know? then we get to see at the very end the fucking dancing of Frederick well, in and the prison. Well, and that's the thing. And,
1: and, and Frederick, the footage of him in prison, like, while he's in prison trying to call these these different things and, and literally trying to do what he'd just done immediately to dozens and dozens of people. You, go, you go, And he's still adamant that, like, I think he, I think they killed him. And it's like, yeah, but you're fucking crazy. I know and that's you're, the problem. You're
2: nuts. Why did I listen to why did I listen to the yeah. crazy
1: person that is like
2: he's a compulsive liar. We know that he's a compulsive liar. Yeah. But he says, "Oh, that spooked me." Yeah. Because suddenly I knew that they knew that I wasn't really the right person, but they kept going along with it. And now yeah. I think that they were the ones that killed him and they're trying to yeah. make their their tr- like that's his theory that mm. like allegation that he makes. And I, and I take that and I run with it. And then I go, wait, why would I fucking listen to this dude? Look at him fucking <laughs> dancing like Michael Jackson in the prison. Completely, <laughs> completely out of it that he's like just, yeah, called like 14
1: fucking families with miss- missing
2: children in the time that he's been put in the prison.
1: Again, because of the way he's shot, he's talking to us the whole time. And, uh, I mean, he is charming on some level up until the point where we know the truth about him. So we do find it hard to not kind of go along with him on yeah, some exactly. Level. It's, that's it's, that's uh, the thing with, like, abusers
2: and manipulators. They need to be some kind of charming to be able for you to let them in to let you be manipulated.
1: Yeah, well, the, the director, uh, Bart Layton, said of Borden that he invites sympathy. He has a childlike quality about him and he can be very charming. And at other times he can be quite repellent because he can be remorseless and you're reminded about what he did. So as a filmmaker, I was thinking, how can I find a way of getting the audience to experience a bit of that? I think he makes the audience experience all of, it. all <laughs> of that. It's, yeah, man, it's it's masterful. Absolutely. It's one of those things where you go, oh, shit, if that was your intent, fucking well done, dude. Nailed it. Yeah. And it's like, of course he has my he like qualities.
2: He's impersonated them countless times yeah, and convinced yeah. people of like, you know, in fucking orphanages that he's a child. So, yeah.
1: of course he can convince a childlike quality to us through the camera. And then we get the, the text on screen, like, he was in prison for six years, got out in 2003 and immediately tried to impersonate another child. Yeah. <laughs> like, fucking crazy. But now he lives in France. I mean, at the time of this movie coming out, lives in lived in France and had a wife and three children. Like, you wonder, where's this guy now, you know? And- how does he look back at this? How yeah. does it's one of those interesting things where it's not like the case of a you know a Zodiac killer where we never found out who it was, or or like a, a Jeffrey Dahmer or any serial killer who is dead,
2: yeah, or like locked away in prison for the rest of their life kind of thing. It's like no, this guy all he all he got sentenced to was six years because ultimately he didn't kill the kid that is missing. So no, he's no, not- he
1: did bizarre and repulsive things life goes on how does someone get to that point and how do they reconcile you know the midpoint of their life where they commit those fucking weird acts you know yeah yeah it's it's baffling and keep keep going it is uh I mean shit these questions we're leaving you with dear viewer uh just as unsettling and unsatisfying as the end of this movie so if uh yes we were trying to
2: uh, get across a feeling of un, like not like no conclusion. So I hope you experience that because then yes. that on our on our skills
1: as podcasters we have succeeded. Then yes, and we too have childlike qualities about us <laughs> and can be quite charming, which is why occasionally we string a sentence together and then occasionally we abandon that sentence to speak like Borat. <laughs> so we hope we uh, found a way of getting you, the audience, to experience a bit of that.
2: Oh my god. Yeah, so it, although it is totally inconclusive, it is still a fucking excellent, like, gripping watch. I think benefited Mm. by uh, not having not watched it for so long. I think that if you watched it completely fresh today, still fucking excellent. I don't think any... There is no amount of time that has degraded this
1: story... No, I don't think- I think this is almost, like, uh, immune to aging poorly. Like, I this think is just so. a good fucking movie.
2: Yeah. The- we, we don't need to cancel him. Like, he went to prison for it. Like, it's not- <laughs> Oh, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. not that kind of thing. Um, and I think because at the time of filming, he had already done his sentence and was out mm. and had, you know, we don't understand how, but he's apparently reconciled, you know, his life into something- Mm. that there's not really any loose ends to actually follow up yeah in terms of like what this film is about
1: yeah i feel similarly i think it will uh continue to be a documentary that i tell people hey this is a really cool documentary this is really excellent oh what's it about just just watch it just watch it
2: you'll you'll be very very impressed very very quickly
1: yeah. Yeah, exactly. Watch watch the first watch the first 5 minutes and, and if you're not if you're not hooked, then I'll sure. tell you what it's about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah. So, still excellent. Probably won't come back to it again for a very very long time if if ever. But yep. that doesn't stop it from being a freaking good documentary.
1: Well, we hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed it and you'd like to help us out, you can do so by spreading that word of mouth, sharing it out, show your friends.
2: Impersonating us and recording your own episodes of Rose Tinted Review so that
1: we can, you know, four episodes per week. You know, we need a, like, up production of this podcast. <laughs>
3: That's
1: it. Uh, and if you'd like to help us monetarily and without, you know, committing fraud, uh, you can do so over at patreon.com forward slash Review. Where for as little as $3 a month, you can get access to a bunch of uh, extra goodies, bonus podcasts, bonus video material. It's all up there. Little as 3 bucks a month, as much as 10 bucks a month, and anything in between. And I just want to... And s- go above and beyond. That's right. There's no, there's no limit. There's only a minimum. There's no ceiling on this thing. <laughs> you can find links to all our socials in the episode description. And you can hit us up on any of those to let us know. Who do you think done it? Yeah, I guess. Like we've our thoughts have been fairly similar about
2: it so i guess like there's not really anything fancy to ask just besides like what do you think about it yeah yeah what were your takes did you feel like hostile towards the family once you found those things out or is that just me being a terrible person and you know am i going to do i just have the witch hunt tendency of just like you know following <laughs> the mob
1: the second someone's like what about that guy yeah let's get him <laughs> <laughs> Next time, Michael, how are you following this up?
2: Who, uh, mm. okay, this one, I want to keep it in the kind of the the dark and sinister kind of vibe a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I want to hit up an Australian film that I was very, very, very fond of at the time, obviously, because it's my pick, so I would have had to be fond of it. Mm-hmm. 2007 Australian fantasy action
1: sci-fi film Gabriel ooh okay okay cool 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 I haven't seen this but I remember I have have impressions from the time
2: I've only watched it once and I have no idea how it will hold up ah okay cool this is gonna be interesting it'll be another blind one
1: yeah beautiful it could
2: be a flubber (laughs) who knows hey flubber was
1: fun to talk about at least (laughs) We're guaranteed a good episode regardless. That's it. Well, join us next time where we'll find out whether or not our hindsight truly is 2020 or if we've just been wearing rose-tinted glasses.
3: Verdict: Bourdain, his delinquent activities and modus operandi. He has travelled throughout Europe appearing at shelters for minors under different aliases. Frederick Beard, Spain, 1992. Benjamin danna Spain, September 19th. Jimmy London, Peter Manfred, Manfred Luxembourg, 1992.
2: Wright, Russell, he stated that he'd run away from his adoptive parents' house. Thomas
3: school. Wilson, Brussels, 95. He Russells, <laughs> running, who was interned Marco at Fernandez, Fernandez Fernandez, Pyrenees. Alex Andrew, Ross, Ron Milan, 1993. Sticks, Benjamin Kid, Glasgow. I said there, I can hardly eat, I can hardly swallow my food. Robin Morans, Arnaud Moriones, John John against Mark Sullivan, wore Giovanni Petrullo, Petrullo I I Michelangelo Martini, Alex Doe, Donovan McNept, Thomas, Thomas Wilson, Wilson, Peter Sampson, William Thomas, Jimmy Sally, Peter Robbins, 92, James, 92, James Marcus, 94, 94, Frederick Assis, Jonathan Doran, two, Francisco two, Hernandez two, Fernandez, Shadgen Gutierrez, and he's never assigned to his mother to fight some mutilation. It's possible he may need psychiatric help.